Today we have in the studio with us Imar Nilis. Imar, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Leifim. Been really looking forward to having you on this podcast. In fact, you would be the second person that I'm speaking to on this podcast. Um, the first being Michelle Garrigan, who came from an archaeology background. Uh-huh. So this is <laughs> very interesting because... Well, I've been recruiting in security for so many years. I haven't quite seen that transition. I don't know if it's a thing in Ireland where archaeology is a choice career for some. But I want to talk about how you got into security as well. So if you can give us an insight into your background, that would be great. My background, yeah. We, we do seem to have a, a pattern of archaeologists turned cybersecurity professionals, certainly <laughs> in this podcast. I was listening to Michelle's with a lot of interest. Well, my background was similar. I had actually, when I applied to university, at 18 didn't really know uh, what I wanted to do and I was very artsy at school I was good at maths but I was very much into the arts and humanities and I think one of the problems I had was that I was kind of okay at everything but nothing really stood out you know so when I came to university I kind of went for a scattergun approach and I applied for lots of different things to lots of different colleges and it just so happened that on a whim I kind of took a notion because I'm from the north of Ireland I thought gosh I kind of fancy Dublin Um, (laughs) this is a true story Uh, so through the application process which I fully misunderstood I managed to get slotted into Arts in Trinity doing archaeology. I clearly couldn't, couldn't get past the AR on the career alphabet, so I think that's how I ended up. But I like I had a great time. I loved my degree. enjoyed it very much. And at the end of that then, it seemed to kind of make sense to continue into professional archaeology. I had already been involved in excavations, you know, when I, I was enjoying it. So I did that. I did a master's. I got more involved in Irish archaeology. I had been more involved in Mediterranean and did a PhD as well and specialised in, I suppose, looking back in a very quantitative type analysis. So I was um, specialising in the Irish Neolithic, looking at stone tools. And I was involved in research then for many years in the university sector, so I was professional academic and really very far removed from any concept of uh, technology or cybersecurity or or very unaware of all of that and very heavily involved in the archaeology world. And then I was uh, working in a research institute in the university and I kind of moved into that phase of life where you're getting married I was having children I kind of moved into this phase of about eight years where I was either pregnant or breastfeeding <laughs> just there, it was always one or the other sure um, and then coming back to work part-time and not really being sure what I wanted to do and feeling like I was coming to the end of the archaeology career but not really sure why and it actually it took me a long time to reflect back on that and kind of understand it but I think I knew I wanted to do something else but I felt bizarrely very unscathed skilled like I, I kind of felt like there was nothing that I could do that I could take anywhere else it was just I was a one-trick pony I was an archaeologist which was a good thing but it's like what do you do with that if you want to move into some other field so I felt a bit stuck I very much fell into cybersecurity, and one of the things that I did actually I went to a careers event in the university that I was working in which was aimed at bringing postdocs into other fields so you know coming out of your PhD and your postdoc that period and trying to move into something else and it was a real game changer for me actually because at the end of that day I thought cheapers there are things I can do I have skills there's maybe something I could do here again didn't really know what 
saying that I was in the university and I liked it and I thought, well, universities are like, you know, many states. I marched myself across to HR and I said, like, have you anything for me? And I think they kind of scratched their head. They weren't sure what to do. So initially, they I moved into an events and conference role for about a year, which I loved. It was the best crack. Tough job, <laughs> really fantastic events. And I had some really brilliant mentors in, in that job. And then at the end of that, again, coming to them thinking, not sure what next. I went back to HR and they said, Jeepers, you're like a boomerang, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep coming back and they said we have this job in security and we really need someone and we actually can't find anybody to do it this role has been open for ages and I had a look at it um, and I thought no it's far too technical for me there's no way I'll be able to do that job but I actually sat down with the job description with my husband and he's an engineer and he was like actually that's not technical at all that means this this means that that means the other and he kind of translated the job spec into English into layman yeah and I looked at it and I thought well I could do that and that's really just program management and you know and I thought yeah this is just a big project that needs to be done and it's just different stuff that's the only difference. So I went along anyway, I had the interview and I joined that team and I remember distinctly thinking, I went on the first day and I thought, gee, Chris, I feel sick. You know, this is like, <laughs> what have I done? I haven't a clue what I'm doing here, you know, but they were lovely. They were really supportive. But we had a, a set of deliverables like within the first six weeks that we had to get some fundamental changes made. And the language was so new, you know, the language of, of all the technology and the security. And I remember just being in at the deep end, you know, just feet first and you get off we go let's get stuck in and it was probably <laughs> the best thing for me but but honestly as an archaeologist when you're standing up to your waist in mud or trying to excavate something on the side of a mountain and the rain is is running down the inside of your back you oh. know and you're you know you, you could be in teams where like on those kind of excavations where you're hauling really heavy tools up to the top of a mountain or everybody's working so hard and so physically hard and on any given day you could you could have a someone a colleague who today is your manager and tomorrow you're their manager and you have these like I suppose what we would call very agile kind of team structures and people work very very well together and we are very used to being uncomfortable and not knowing what we're doing actually because there's a lot of uncertainty in archaeology when you go into an excavation you don't know what you're going to find but you've got to move forward anyway there are a lot of things that are left unanswered and you have to try and resolve those so your whole um, world is just problem solving and troubleshooting from morning to night and it's a very multidisciplinary area so you you know you have to have so many different types of skills you have to really survey you have to really do maths you have to illustrate you have to write you have to think you have to problem solve you're all over the place and I think at the end of that then I was very very lucky to fall into cyber because it's pretty much similar you know it's very very similar in terms of the skills needed uh, and the kind of variety of scenarios that can present themselves and that sense of uncertainty, always operating in uncertainty, but knowing you've got to kind of wade through it. You know. Before you got into cyber, have you ever even heard of the word cyber or were you aware in any way of information security? I was on a very peripheral way, you know, I mean, I was I was aware of the concept of it, but I mean, it was going back now about 10 years. And I think even then, I'm not sure that it was as well communicated then as it is now. And I think it is evolving always as a discipline. Certainly, there are new terms and new names coming up for, you for know, sure. these sort of micro subjects within it all the time. But it was very much on the periphery. I mean, I, I knew when I got into the job that I was moving into that it was IT security, but I wasn't really sure exactly what that was going to mean and I was very very conscious of feeling that I wasn't 
terribly technical but you know at the same time I had come through a very much a quantitative PhD I had put together a database I had you know analyzed over 80,000 artifacts and built out the attributes so it was I was very data aware and I think I had more the first piece of work that I had done in that area was through DOS so I had a bit more technical know-how than I thought but I, I kind of I was just dismissing that but it took a long time to kind of figure all that out it took a lot yeah. of reflection really I want to touch on a few points that you mentioned earlier. The first being moving into motherhood, parenthood, and coming back into work. And perhaps I'm thinking, is it losing that sense of purpose at work? Because before you become a parent, all you could think of and all anyone thinks of is career, Mm. you know, climbing up the ladder. But once you have a kid... It changes. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but for me... It definitely changed. And I think I always remember coming back to work after maternity leave and really feeling like an alien, like actually feeling like, I mean, I always really enjoyed my time off, so I didn't have any real difficulty there. But I was coming back not really sure how I fit it in anymore and everything felt quite different. And I'm quite good at compartmentalizing. So when I go into work in the morning, I kind of subconsciously just shift and, and do work mode and then I'm there for the day and, and that works for me. That That's grand. So that wasn't really the problem. It was more the fact that you have a 24 hour job now as opposed to like 8, 9, 10 hour job. That juggle that you kind of do then is definitely a, a kind of a steep learning curve. It's a good job that, you know, babies start small because it takes a long time to figure <laughs> out what to do with them, you know. And for me, kind of trying to understand how I was going to make it all work was just for me it was a slow learn like it took me a while to figure that out but I definitely felt very strange coming back to work and I think for us and for an awful lot of women working there are usually two people working in the home if there are two people in the home so in terms of our partnership like we're splitting everything 50 50 but you're both then in a very different place because you're kind of trying to work out who's doing what today and you've got all of this mm-hmm. kind of new complexity coming into your life when I came back after my first baby I thought oh you know second child it'll, it'll be fine and I felt the same and even when I came back with my third and by that stage I was working in cybersecurity, I still felt very strange and it takes a wee while to settle down but I came back kind of in a phased return with the third child in a very supportive environment in, in the team that I was working in and that makes a really big difference actually because mm-hmm. that really kind of helps you normalize and kind of settle in and find your groove you know yeah for sure think of it as just anyone who's going away be it on a sabbatical or a longer holiday mm-hmm. two or three weeks you come back you feel disorientated you feel like oh this is a completely new place so let alone few months you've got a baby or a few babies <laughs> big change so that's going to be an area where a lot of people including myself will experience one day right I'm gonna listen back to this and think about okay this is normal this is fine <laughs> but you know there I mean it's not always babies as well yeah. and you know there are other things that have affected me that affect everybody else there's caring responsibilities for family members there's bereavement there's mm-hmm. all of these kind of huge life events that really fundamentally shift how you feel and as you transition back into work then it's so much easier if you are in a very supportive environment and I think the working world is changing you know we live in a world where as I said both if there are two people at home then both can be working and that kind of luxury of being able to have one person organizing all of that stuff and one person just going out to work has kind of moved on now yep. that's not, not always how we find it and you said it wasn't just motherhood right that kind of made you feel that perhaps it's time to move on from archaeology mm. it took you quite some time in fact to figure out what it was it really did and I couldn't quite put my finger on it and I think looking back 
I have a real need to learn, right? And I do need a lot of change. I kind of figured out that I need both of those things very, very strongly because I get bored very, very quickly. So I like to keep moving. And I think that was part of it. I just needed to move into something kind of disruptively different and have a lot of change. And I was just getting itchy and, you know, needing that transition Mm -hmm. and needing to learn it. And I guess I feel like, bizarrely, even though I was working in a research environment, that I was maybe getting bottoming out where where I could go with that, you know. And I I do think there were just bits of my brain that weren't getting enough exercise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Too much mud. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I just launched myself headlong into this other role. And definitely, if you want to learn and you want to keep sort of the stone uh, rolling, I think cyber is a good place to go. But also, it's a very investigative type of job. It's those research and analytical skills that I had by the spadeful. Like, I mean, I totally took those for granted and thought that that was kind of normal. And they really help. I think that research approach, that analytical, investigative type of approach, being able to do detail, like when you do an analysis of 80,000 plus artifacts or whatever, and then pull back out to the big picture and try and understand what it all means. That capability of being able to do a deep dive and then pull back to the kind of higher view or strategic view, I think, is really what's needed. I think you need both of those angles. Your transition into cyber, I think what's interesting about that was it wasn't just transitioning from archaeology into cyber, Mm -hmm. but it was also from research into Mm -hmm. industry, Mm -hmm. which is very different as far as I can see. How was that? Let's talk about the transition from academic into industry first. Mm, How was that? That's an interesting question, actually. I might have to think about that one a bit more. I think the beginning of that role was mapped out, so it was like a project. I kind of knew what needed to be done, or you know, I figured it out pretty quickly. And again, what you're doing there is really just it's designing a project and working your way through it, which, again, we had all been involved in, in the institute I was working in in research program management. So you're developing and designing the research, and then you're working your way through it all. So that early stage was very project kind of base that was very familiar and that was fine then you are a kind of there was a lot that was new to me much more around you know operations and service livery and and those kind of ideas that were new um but then that role evolved into not just security but also building up a kind of a governance function and bringing in data governance and looking at privacy so it went back to being almost research based again because there was a lot of time spent putting together a team horizon scanning really to see where we were looking at the strategy of the organization figuring out what the gaps were and that's very analytical and also that element that part of cyber where you need to be keeping your eye on where the industry is going where the tooling is going what the threats and vulnerabilities are and that's a need for ongoing research and learning and so that kind of made it feel familiar and I think it kind of fed that need I had in that Mm -hmm. area and I think had I been in an environment that was less dynamic and more static I think I would have struggled Mm -hmm. actually but I'm anybody who works with me will know that um, I have a tendency to draw pictures so uh, you know I'm always to be found in front of a whiteboard having fun with markers and crayons and <laughs> or sitting in a corner with a bit of paper and a pen and a blanket wrapped around me going hmm I'm going to think for a wee while and just come up with some ideas so that the kind of creative thinking and playfulness actually I, I've managed to kind of keep going which you know I really enjoy. That's great. What were some of the learning curve that you experienced when you first got into security? Hmm. I think I spend an awful lot of time in meetings thinking, what am I doing in here? I I don't even understand the words they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like it was 100% imposter syndrome and thinking I 
like I'm adding no value here. And I would recommend that people do this. Actually, there's a lot to be learned as a as a kind of a in your early career. I think attending those kind of meetings and listening, you don't have to have anything to say. You don't have to necessarily contribute, but you can hoover up information that way. I think that was really important for me. It helped me understand the scenario. I do, and I think this harkens back to being an archaeologist. I need to understand the context of what I'm working with. I do like that. I like to understand how we got here what the big picture is and what we're dealing with. The other part of it was, because you mentioned imposter syndrome, it was also interesting that you said when you looked at the job spec the first time, <laughs> you said, I couldn't do most of this. But you sat down with your husband and he just sort of translated mm. that into layman terms. And you were like, oh, actually... The language is so totally different. Yeah. Um, and, and I think... Any discipline you're in, it has its own mm-hmm. set of vocabulary, it has its language. And then once you get familiar with that, then it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think once I started to build up that understanding of what they were talking about, and I, I, I'm kind of quite a visual person as well, so once I could see, almost see the data structures in my head and what we were trying to do, it kind of made sense to me and I could kind of picture everything that we were trying to achieve. But for a long time, I could understand the words I was hearing, but I couldn't use them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, oh yeah, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah, you know, I'm not quite fluent in IT yet. I couldn't, sure. I just couldn't get the words out, but I knew what we were trying to do. You know, I've worked with a lot of very, very intelligent people some of them have been very technical some have been had other skills that they brought to it and this kind of techie versus non-techie kind of debate I, I think is very interesting because at the end of the day it's learned you know I mean we can all develop our technical side we can all develop other skills I don't know whether you get a badge someday that says congratulations you're now <laughs> you're yeah, now considered up. techie <laughs> like so I, you know I don't know how we do keep coming back to that I think increasingly with such a broad sector and such a broad industry people can only really specialize in small parts of the technology a lot of those these days are very tool based mm-hmm. um, and I, I kind of think that I ended up actually being I suppose quite technical in the tools that I was using in the previous roles to the extent that I could go into a room with a group full of technical people and confuse them in a good way and I thought yes <laughs> but uh, I do still think that it just interests me that we have this conversation so much about what people's backgrounds is I think all of us have different skills that we can bring whether you know male or female or technical or or else but I do think we have this rich um, grip of art students that are emerging into the sunlight blinking from the arts theatre after their degrees and they're not sure what they're going to do and they've developed some really fantastic kind of creativity skills and critical thinking and analysis and and being able to do detail and big picture stuff at the same time and I kind of think that we should be probably signing them up as they're walking out the gates of college bringing them into the industry. Coming from the arts industry yourself what would be the biggest USP? I think it's the reflective analysis. I think there's a lot of evidence gathering, a lot of consideration, a bit of hunch. But you bring a lot of colour to the facts and I think you kind of you play about with them and you try and move them around and see what you get. And I one of the things that I reflect on that actually that I seem to do is bring people together with from different areas wherever I've worked to solution. So I tend to kind of make a lot of connections with people. Like I'm not out there kind of consciously networking. I'm just building relationships and getting to know people and, and then going, uh-huh, you're you. That's really interesting. You do that. That's really good. And then later on, you kind of, sometimes I pull people in the meeting and they're kind of like, going, why are we all in here? And like, well, guess what? We have to do X. And I thought you could help. And I love that because it's kind of uncertain. You don't really know where you're going, but you know you're forging ahead and you're building relationships and pulling people together. I think that's where that kind of almost unbounded 
view of how things should be done helps. I think it's good to take the shackles off a bit and just say, let's just jump into this and be as creative as we can and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because actually, we might get the problem solved. And I love those moments where it comes together. And you kind of know that it was half accident. But it's that thing um, of the the planned happenstance, you know, this idea that like you kind of half plan it, half move things in the right direction and, and hope that you come out the other side with it, with it solved, you know. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like life in general, mm. right? You, you could plan for it, you could work towards it, but sometimes life throws you a curveball mm. and you just got to learn to deal with it. Even as I'm listening to you now, I see why it would have been such a great transition into cyber because mm-hmm. like you said all the uncertainty but being able to think big picture being able to problem solve those really are the skill sets and I've hired for your team what do you typically look for in the person well it's always tricky to kind of identify these things from interviews as you know but I think teamwork is really important and I think evidence and being able to communicate that you will jump into a team and you will roll your sleeves up and get stuck in. There are an awful lot of roles that I've had that I've ended up doing things very, very far away from what was intended, but it, at the time it needed to be done. When I look at our team at the minute, we have this. We actually have a, about a 50-50 split in our team in terms of women and men, which is probably very rare. And we have great skills across the whole team and we are very, very good to each other, like the team really pulls together. So I know that if I I need more hands on something they'll help and vice versa and where I mightn't have the technical expertise I'll jump into rooms with some of my colleagues and help them issues they're having from a different angle and anyway I can help I will help and I think that I guess that's what we look for as well it's someone who can do that you know can bring their particular expertise for the role that we're looking for but also be willing to jump on the call and come into meeting and just join in and generally move forward because I think you need a variety of skills and personality types and approaches to they make the world go round. I don't think you need all of one thing. And I do think, genuinely speaking, I think teamwork is probably key to everything, actually, because everything else after that can be learned. Uh, you can find a way through it or you can get a solution somewhere else. Yeah, agree. This is echoed throughout the industry when I recruit for my clients. A lot of clients are now saying, yes, I need the technical skills, but I'm looking for that personality fit, that mm-hmm. cultural fit into the environment because each individual joining changes the dynamics of the team it doesn't matter if you're a team of two five or ten Mm -hmm. when you introduce a new entity in it's a brand new dynamic and you need to work on it you need to make sure that that person is going to be a team player they're not coming in to just be doing things on their own even if they're good technically if they're not sharing they're not participating, that's not going to work. Going back to you as a hiring manager, what would be your advice to other hiring managers in the market? Let's say looking at CVs. We've all made the mistake of just looking at a CV saying, oh, I don't see enough skill sets there. And coming from a background where you've transitioned into security, it wasn't an obvious transition. Mm -hmm. What is your advice to people out there who are looking at CVs today, who are looking for the next potential person to join their team? Well, I tend to read CVs like a narrative. You know, I kind of imagine the journey through them. And at the end of that, then I I would like to look at it and think they've shown evidence of being a go-getter. There's a bit of variety there. They've moved around or they've stuck with someone but moved up. Um, You know, that they've changed roles and evidence of continued learning. And to me, that doesn't necessarily be formal 
minimal learning. You know, I mean, I, I'm kind of classic mainstream education. I have four degrees, which is probably more than needed. And I, I mentioned that I like to learn, right? So clearly I have a bit of a problem. <laughs> but, but having said that and having worked in higher education for many years, I'm a big believer in learn any way you can and free education. I don't think it should cost much. I think I came from a background where my generation was the first generation to go to college in their families. So my parents were incredible people who didn't have the opportunities that I had to go to college and, and even see out school. It just wasn't on their radar. So I don't really think that that needs to be there, but I think that evidence of continued learning is really important. And I just like to get a feel for people coming off CVs. I think we all need to move towards a more of a skills-based approach to, to looking at people. Okay, so you spent four years in this company. What did you come out with in terms of what do you think you're good at? What are you able to do? And I think that's what becomes more real in the workplace because... Everywhere you go, nobody is going to have the same tooling. Nobody's going to come in and know everything about the tools that you need them to know about. We have to be willing to invest in people in terms of on-the-job training or even focus training on specific areas and develop people in that way. And another thing that I would be a big fan of is really being very open with your knowledge in the workplace. Um, I love to see knowledge sharing. I love to see sessions between our teams, even like we just came away today from a lunch and learn that we were hosting in the office around cyber for our office. And I think open up and let people know what you know. They'll open up and let you know what they know. And everybody's the better for it. The organization is going to benefit from it. Because knowledge should not be a prisoner. Like it, It's no use to anybody if it's like that. So share it out and help people to learn. And I do think that so much of cyber is on-the-job learning. And an awful lot can be gathered up through attending local meetings and uh, meetups and short sessions in whatever sector you operate in. I think that is a fantastic way to really put depth and color into what you understand the issue to be. Mm-hmm. And even for anyone who's looking at potentially a career in cyber, if they're not too sure if it's for mm-hmm. them, I think going into the meetups, it could be daunting the first time, the second time, just because it's so new, just because of all the jargons. You're like, no idea, everything's flying through your head, but it does get better. And slowly you get acquainted and you see at the end of it, everyone's just human. Mm. Right, we just have a different job title, we Absolutely. just do a different thing. But that would be really interesting and yeah. it's also a really good way to ask them, hey, tell me about what you do. Because I'm thinking about getting into this space, but I'm not really sure if it's for me. Have that conversation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we do need to demystify it. We have, a, we have a problem with skill shortage and we have probably people who would never ever think of crossing that doorway because it just seems too difficult or Mm. the subject is so complex that Mm -hmm. it can't be broken down and understood. I mean, had I not really kind of fallen into the job, I don't think for a minute I ever would have thought that I could have done it. So... And I think once you have that door opened and you look in and you think, well, that's doable. And obviously it's a thriving sector and I think really is going to need a lot of good creativity in the years to come to kind of like solve the problems and keep ahead of the threats that we're all trying to handle. We need to bring in those brains, you know, we need that range really of thinkers. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think about the industry, when I look at the market, there are a lot of jobs out there that are left unfilled for Mm -hmm. weeks, for months, because everyone's looking for that same candidate. You might have five jobs against one candidate in the market. So anyone who has 
12, 18 months of experience mm-hmm. in security at this point will have a few opportunities on hand. I think one of the things that companies need to start thinking about is potentially internships or graduate schemes. Absolutely. I'm a big believer in that. I love to see that. And in my previous role, actually, within the team we have, I'm in at the minute, I've seen this. Bringing in graduates and really having the opportunity to learn from them fresh out of college uh, with everything at their fingertips in terms of, of understanding an academic approach towards the sector but also then giving back and I loved in my previous team particularly I had a few students who came through a few placement students and I loved that two-way street and they were a massive part of our team we had a bit of a rotation so people come in for a year and then we had another guy come in for a year I thought it brought brilliant energy to the team actually and, and I loved the fact that you were helping people kind of get started if that's the way to go and I do think graduate schemes are massively important in this area we are going to have to invest in young talent yeah. it's the only way to go uh, yeah. because we we won't find people with the skills if we can't let them through the door to start with. Absolutely, because part of my job is connecting with people and every day I get candidates who are just about to graduate or who have had a change in career they finish a master's and they're looking for the entry level job but all the jobs out there require experience how are you going to get experience mm-hmm. if you don't start somewhere? Not everyone's going to be as lucky to get an internal opportunity. And sometimes I hear clients saying, we just don't have time, we don't have capacity. Well, they have to learn somehow, um, mm-hmm. even if they're not going to be able to help from day one. By the end of the second month, they would know much more than the day that they Absolutely. walked in. Yeah. So so hopefully that's something that more companies can start implementing. And be 12, 18 months time, we're going to start seeing more candidates. And another way of seeing it is, It doesn't just end when the internship finishes. If the candidates are good, these are guys or girls that you can start bringing in as a full-time employee and they would have that loyalty with the business as Mm -hmm. well because you've given them the first start into the career. Mm -hmm. I'd like to touch on your current role. Mm. So you work with Aptiv Mm -hmm. and a lot of people in the market may not be too familiar with Aptiv even though... It's you guys this have been around. vast, vast organization. Yeah. Uh, it's a really exciting company. Actually, it was previously known as Delphi Automotive. And a couple of years ago, they spun out part of their business and decided to strategically work towards um, much more around a sort of uh, autonomous drive technology. And they rebranded as Aptiv. They've headquartered here in Dublin. Uh, but they have, I think there's something like 150,000 plus people working globally. I know we have 15 technical centers. I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong, but I think we might have 65 different sites across 50-something countries. I mean, it's a vast, vast organization. And when I looked at the role, I was so excited by the product. Portfolio is amazing. I'm a wee bit of an electric vehicle and autonomous drive nerd anyway, so Mm -hmm. it really spoke to me. But everything from that sort of traditional components, manufacturing through engineering, advanced safety, infotainment uh, solutions, electrification, smart vehicle architecture, light architecture, and into really pushing the agenda with the autonomous drive. And in fact, they announced a GV a couple of months ago just with Hyundai. So their strategy around the product portfolio is very, very exciting, you know, and being with the company now for a year and a half, I love to watch where it's going. It's actually a very, very exciting company. So being involved in cyber in that organization is just a gift. Like, it's fantastic. And your role as an identity and access governance lead, Mm. tell us a little bit more about that because I feel that that's a space that a lot of people may not be too familiar with. 
Yeah, I think it's another area that is developing and emerging, you know, as a discipline. But really, it's around management of the identity data and the life cycle. By that, I mean really, and it's similar to what I would have done in the previous role as well. It's, it's all of the data points that can identify the user or the individual in the organization. And in terms of a large organization like ours, obviously, you have a lot of identities moving around. You have people joining the organization. They move roles. They move around. They leave a footprint. They exit. And it's just the standard identity access governance rules are around making sure that is as efficient and effective as possible, that it's as secure as possible, and that you have these really kind of like seamless operations to support all of that and that you can have really good visibility of your identities where they are and what they're doing for a number of different reasons. But identity management just touches everything. It cuts across every part of any organization. It's key to really good people reporting and lots of different areas that enables the business. And like a lot of organizations, I think people looking at this now realizing how important it is actually and I would say a lot of organizations are either in or about to step into a kind of an identity transformation phase where they're really getting to grips with this and really getting on top of how they process user data and access across other various complex systems and that's what I do but as I mentioned earlier being part of a team that's the day job <laughs> so there are lots of different areas whether it's helping make developments to and improvements to policy or I know I'm quite involved in privacy work work as well, which I love. I'm very data focused, so anything that gives me an opportunity to get into that, look at ways to, to improve it around identity, around other areas of cyber, I, I'll kind of gleefully jump into that. And we do, you know, I, I work with colleagues in terms of looking at things like instant response and SOC and how we work there. I just I put my hand up to most things, actually. And, and, <laughs> and through that, you get a new skill yeah. every time. I remember saying this, this must have been at least 18 months ago because I, I remember saying this in Singapore because I was discussing just security, the landscape, how you protect your organization with one of my contacts. And a lot of times people talk about security threats. You're talking about phishing, email scams, etc. But we also talk about how insider threat is a real problem, mm-hmm. right? And if you get your identity management right, that's a big step mm-hmm. in securing your environment. And I agree with what you say that this is a new area. It's not new, but it's quite a developing area, especially in Dublin. Like in Singapore, I would have seen organizations with this um, a large number of banks especially would have had this but if we look at the market here it mostly sits with consulting firms which tells us that a lot of companies out there haven't quite put thought into it or they don't have a dedicated personnel mm. for it but there is a need for such an area absolutely and i see you know i've seen it in other places i've worked as well and, I, and you can see how this issue arises where organizations develop increasingly complex systems um, they don't always talk to each other and and then you find yourself in a situation where like, well, we've got to really streamline this, you know, we've got to get ourselves more coordinated. I've been that soldier in a previous role, kind of looking looking at that kind of architecture. I think that is why it is kind of transformational because technology has really boomed in the last 20 years particularly and as we kind of ride that crest of a wave you think right okay let's take a look at this now how can we rationalize what we're doing how do we um, make this more efficient are we leveraging everything we've invested into the best that we can and there are a lot of fundamental IT questions around that that can be that can be helped actually by good identity management just as a parting question which I Mm. ask everyone has there been any interesting moments or stories that you can share 
Uh, I'm probably going to fail horribly at this one. Um, do you know what? Actually, funnily enough, I was walking up the steps of this building coming in here today, and mm-hmm. this is, and <laughs> I thought we're wow, in an undisclosed location. We're in an undisclosed location. <laughs> uh, and the last time uh, I was in the undisclosed location, I was uh, interviewing for the job that I'm in now, which is yeah. is really not a very good story at all. But it yeah. just came to me. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. kind of a funny thing. It's almost yeah. two years on. This was actually really fun. <laughs> you know, uh, th- this was a very good conversation with you. So thank you so much for taking time with me Thanks today. Thanks, I've enjoyed it. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Women in Security podcast brought to you by Morgan McKinley. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. My name is Leif and Tan and we'll chat soon.